Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 23, 1 through 6, found at page 458 in your pew bottles. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me in all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our New Testament reading is Acts 2, 42 through 47, found in page 911 in the Pew Bibles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the teaching of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for what your word says to us. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Lord, help this, your forever word, to be unfading in our hearts even though we live in a world that is fading. Sustain us through your word. Our faith is in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23 is such a well-known and often read psalm that it's difficult to say anything new about it. Yet, Familiarity often dulls the senses so that you fail to appreciate the beauty of what it is that you just read. I can recall learning this psalm as a child, memorizing it, but not really understanding what it was saying, because you know, I was only like six. You know, and, but even then, the good shepherd was pursuing me, which is why I was fascinated with the psalm. And the psalm teaches us how tenderly and affectionately we are loved by God. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. The extraordinary thing in the psalm is the overall confidence that David has that the Lord is able to deliver him and is therefore with him. See, this is the confidence that God expects his children to possess. And, 
And not just individually, but as a community. Because too often we forget that this is a song that the nation would sing. There's a great little book by Robert Cole, and it's entitled, Why Psalm 23 is Not About You. (laughs) So Gerald Wilson, he also points out how this psalm was originally used in public Jewish worship. And only, only centuries after they were first composed and sung, did they begin to be used in private devotional settings as is done today. But the image of a shepherd was something that every Israelite would know because so many sheep were needed for the sacrifices. Sheep were everywhere. So therefore, shepherds were needed. And who could express the love of the shepherd for his sheep better than one who has been a shepherd himself? David, he knew, he knew how intimate the relationship is between sheep and shepherd. So don't be offended that the Bible speaks of you as sheep. <laughs> you know, you're not just some little four-legged stumpy creature. God sees us in, in, in a very tender and compassionate way. So David would feel completely comfortable with the picture of being shepherded by God all of his life. However, it's the turn that he takes in verse 5 that is intriguing, where David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So what is the purpose of a God who is a shepherd now becoming a host? And what is the purpose of the table being prepared in the presence of one's enemies? What does this mean? And what is the relevance, uh, what relevance is it for a believer today? And what practical use is it for the church? I want to suggest to you that though David was not thinking about the Lord's table as, as we know it, we can, since Jesus has come and we have the New Testament helping us to make sense of the old, we can interpret this text being reminded of the importance and the power of the communion. And we want to think about its importance and power by answering these three questions. Who prepares the table? For whom is it prepared? And why its location matters. So who prepares the table? Verse 5 says, you prepare you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord, who is a shepherd, who is the shepherd, in whom David lacks nothing, is also a host. He prepares a table. It's not uncommon for, for biblical writers to mix metaphors. In Revelation 5, you see Jesus is both lion and lamb. In John chapter 10, he is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and he is the door. And here, the text, he is the Lord, and he, he's the Lord who is the shepherd, and he is the host. And as host, he prepares a table. That, that word prepare, it means to arrange, to put, he puts it into order. He ordains and furnishes. And this is the Hebrew word that's often used in the book of Leviticus, and it, and 
the word is used some 76 times in the Old Testament. So it, in, in Leviticus, it, it's, it's there a lot. And, it, and it's there describing the work of, of Aaron and his sons as the priests as they were ordering and laying out the parts of the animal as they, as they prepare the sacrifice. So the Lord, who is a host, takes time to furnish and order the table. So everything is ordained, it's arranged, it's supplied as he desires. And that should be, to us, a comforting thought, to know that the Lord is not subject to fate. He's not subject to whimsy. He's not subject to caprice. He's, he's, he is intimately and intricately involved in every detail of whatever it is that you and I need, and he has laid it out for us in the preparation of the table. He's deliberate in his preparation. And his preparation, you see, is lavish as well, because the word there for the table is a, is a word that was used for the king's table. The king's table. It's not just, it's not so, it's not a table at McDonald's. You know, it's the king's table. And to be invited to the king's table was a big deal. You know, so here, so this is why the story of Mephibosheth, where, where Jonathan is uh, saying to Jonathan, where, where not Jonathan, but David is saying about Jonathan's grandson, he's welcome to the table. Mephibosheth, you know, is crippled, and he is the only son. He's the only grandson. He's the only heir that Jonathan has left. And typically, in that in that time, the kingdom, you didn't allow any of your enemies children to survive. You wiped out his whole line, but that's not David. David says, search for him, find him, and when you do, he is welcome at the king's table for the rest of his days. This is, I mean, what grace, what generosity. And here we have David saying that the Lord does this. This is the king's table. He puts on a banquet that is the envy of the ages. I love the description that Isaiah 25, 6 gives to this banquet as it, as it foreshadows what is to come. Verse 25, chapter 25 and verse 6 of Isaiah describes the lavishness of the Lord's preparation. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. The Lord provides lavishly the best food. The Lord prepares the king's table. Now the question is, for whom is it prepared? Well, so David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord, who is a shepherd in whom we lack nothing, is also a host who prepares a lavish meal for us, his children, who are his honored guests. To be invited into the home of the king and to, to be invited into the home of the master, it's an intimate gesture of, of friendship and honor. So in those days, Temper Longman, commenting on this text, he says about, about those times that and eating with someone implies entering into an intimate relationship with them. And we still feel that today when we invite people to our home, don't we? You know, we feel that, you know, yeah, you're, you're inviting them because, yeah, you want, to, you want them to get to know you, you want to get to know them. You know, yeah, you're inviting them into a relationship. And during, so, and during the meal in their days, during the meal, the honored guests would be anointed by the host with a perfumed olive oil on their foreheads. It would moisturize their skin. 
because, you know, it's a hot, dusty, windy area, and it would make the room smell better. <laughs> Daily showers and baths were, was not a thing. <laughs> but you see, this practice was still taking place in Jesus' time. You remember the story of the sinful woman that Jesus is at home, the home of Simon the Pharisee, and this, the sinful woman stands behind him at his feet, wiping, weeping and, and wiping his feet with her hair and anointing them with the ointment. Simon complains. This man is no prophet. If he were a prophet, he would have known that this is a sinner. And he allows her to touch him. But Jesus replied with the parable. Remember the parable? The parable was, was, you know, who is it that loves much? The one who's forgiven much or the one who's forgiven little? And Simon is forced to answer, yeah, the one who's forgiven much. And Jesus, you know, he kind of slaps him across the face with this rebuke. You gave, in verse 46 of Luke 7, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Ah, See, Simon didn't honor the Lord the way this woman did. So that whole thing, that whole picture of anointing one's guest's head was still a practice in Jesus' time. And, And a gracious and good host would provide this for his or her honored guests. You know, in a couple of weeks, several of us are going to travel to Israel, and you can pray for us as we travel, because certainly you, you've heard the news or you've read the news or, or seen the, some of the things that's happening in Israel. But one of the things that, that some of us are planning to do is to have a meal with some Christian families in their home while we're there. Uh, so, now, I don't know if we will be anointed with oil or not, but prepare for anything. I don't know. I don't know that that's going to take place. Yeah, you know, some of you who have been there, maybe maybe you've had that experience. But it, but if it does, and all I know is I'm counting it as an honor to be there with them in in their in their homes there in uh, Jerusalem and having and sharing a meal with them. And I look forward to that. And I I'm, and I know it's going to be memorable. But here, the Lord is the host, and we are his honored guests. The Lord has designed the table for his people. See, brothers and sisters, this is grace. This is grace. Because he saw what we needed, and he moved to initiate fellowship with us and prepared this feast for the good of his people. Hallelujah. You see how much God, you see how much the Lord loves you, how much he loves his people, how much he honors you and I, the king. God is good. And all the time, amen. Yes, he is. Now, the Lord who is good, who is the shepherd, and who, who, in whom we lack nothing, is also a host. He's prepared a table for his people, but where? The Lord has prepared it is important. And why its, lo- why its location matters. Look at verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the Lord, who is a shepherd and a host, has prepared this lavish banquet for his people whom he honors in the presence of their enemies. We have enemies. Who are they? Who who are these enemies? Who are the enemies of the people of God? The word of God names several who are enemies of the people of God. And here are just a few. Here's four that that the text, uh, that that the scripture puts before us. One, 
Those who do not obey the gospel are enemies. Romans 11, 28, and this is a fascinating verse, and I wish I had time to unpack the whole thing, but listen to what the verse says. As regard the gospel, and he's talking, about, he's talking about unbelieving Jews, as regard the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So, unbelieving Jews are in the position, they're in this position for our sake. This, and yet, they are elected, beloved, the scripture says, for the sake of their forefathers. So that, yeah, you see, they're, they're kind of in the middle. But this makes, so this makes the table that's prepared in the presence of our enemies even more significant because it shows that we are all, Jew and Gentile, whatever your ethnicity, equally elected by God through his gracious provision and promise. It gets better, but that's later in the sermon. <laughs> James 4, 4 says this, that here's another enemy. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So anyone who wishes to be a friend of the world is God's enemy and therefore an enemy of the people of God. That's two. Here's the third one. Death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is our enemy. So, so here, that's number three. Number four, Satan is the enemy. In John 17, 15, Jesus praying to the Father, he says this, you know, he, he prays that God doesn't take us out of the world, but he prays that we are kept from the evil one, Satan. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, here's Paul, and he reminds us that the Lord is faithful, establishing us and guarding us against the evil one. So Satan is an enemy. So it's those who don't obey the gospel, those who see the world as, 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 their, as its friend, are enemies of God and enemies of God's people. Death is an enemy. Satan is the enemy. So we have enemies. We have enemies, but the Lord has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So the, to the table, located in the presence of our enemies, lets them know that the Lord, who is powerful, comforting, guiding, providing, lavishly, and honoring us, is the Lord who is with us and therefore is able to deliver us from them. Hallelujah. Yes, do we serve a powerful God or not? Yes. See, but what do we do? What do we do in light of this? What do we do with our enemies? What do we do with them? Because so, here's, here's why the location matters. With Satan being the exception, we feed them. That's odd, isn't it? Now, no, you don't feed Satan. But <laughs> the, the, we feed our enemies. Listen to what Romans 12, 20 says. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, the table of the Lord prepared for us in the presence of our enemies is there to invite them to come and feed. Hallelujah. See, perhaps they are our enemies because they have a hunger that they are not aware of. And so, so their appetites 
are for all the wrong things. They're, they're feasting on junk food, thinking they're having a banquet, but it's in the grave. But a table prepared in the presence of our enemies is an invitation to change their appetites, to awaken the need for true nourishment that feeds the soul and brings them into the presence of our gracious host whose welcome creates gladness and generosity. W. Forsyth, he's a preacher from yesteryear. That means the, the uh, 19th century. <laughs> he, he said this. He says, when we think of what we were and what we are, of what we deserved and of what we have received, it is with wonder, love, and praise that we say, thou preparest a table before me. We have enemies, but they have not prevailed. We can think of them with pity and forgive them. We can even pray for them that they may be converted into friends. And should they continue alienated and hostile, we can face them without fear because greater is he that is with us than all they that are against us. The future for us is bright with hope. The dark valley is behind and the power of God before. The table below is the earnest of the table above. Isn't that good? Yeah, every table too, brothers and sisters, it's prepared. It comes at a cost. You know, you go to a meal and, and the table is prepared with seats and table covering and placemats and silverware, dinner napkins and, and plates and, and glasses. In some homes, seats are assigned and there's food and, and there's drink. And, and, but none of it is free. Somebody, someone has paid. Someone paid the cost. Who paid the cost for the table that's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies? The Father. The Father has paid the cost. How? Through his Son. Through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, he absorbed the cost. John 6, 53 and 54, this is how Jesus puts it. He said, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what is Jesus talking about? He's, well, he's talking about his death. He's I'm going to die so that you can live. I'm giving up my body so that you can have eternal life. I'm taking on your sin so that you can have my righteousness. And he says, if you don't, you have no life within you. See, Jesus' body is the bread. His blood is the drink. He is the one whom the Father has anointed. Yeah, he's, he's been anointed with the oil. He is the king. He's our king. And he is present in the meal. See, the reason why our enemies have not prevailed is because the Lord is the shepherd. He's the host. The reason we can feed our enemies, take pity on them, forgive and pray for them is because the Lord has prepared a table for us who had been his enemies. The table prepared for us is here at the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ is the host. We are at the table because he has brought us to himself. Hallelujah. You see, this means the table of our Lord is a witness to the world of his loving, reconciling, sovereign rule over the lives of his children. So this is more than a memorial. You don't have to say amen on that one. But, but, yeah, 
but it's true. It's more than a memorial. In Acts chapter 2, verse 20, verses 42 and 47, what we read earlier, it's a picture of what the impact of the table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies looks like in the community. Now, I know it's idyllic, but listen to what it's saying. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we don't get how, how, how counter the culture this was in, in the first century because it's so common now that we're, 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 we're such a Christianized people. <laughs> no, but, but our city needs to see this kind of church. And in the communion is the power to transform our lives, the community, the nation, even the world. For the table foreshadows the great feast that is to come when Jesus returns. In Revelation 19.9, it pronounces a blessing for all who are invited. Listen to what the verse says. And an angel said unto me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So the question is, will you be there? Will you be there? So you can turn down, yeah, yeah. if I invite you to lunch with me and we go to Hardy's, you're free to turn that down and you'll probably live better for it. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you can do that. But this invitation from the Lord, you can't turn down. It has eternal consequences. You, you turn this down, it's, there's, no, there's nowhere else for you to go. There is no other meal that you, can, that you can eat that's going to give you what you need. See, and the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb is to have the Lord as your shepherd. See, he will bring you all the way through. Trust the true words of God. Because he has promised. We didn't read all of it earlier in Isaiah 25. We'll look at the, the, latter, the, the, the whole thing together, verses 6 through 8. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make... For all peoples, a feast of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the host. Jesus is extending an invitation to come and partake in the gladness and generous heart of the Father who has given his Son. So friends, come to this table prepared before you in the presence of our enemies. Oh, 
So now, let us take this moment to examine ourselves. 